Moving ahead with efforts to create an affordable alternative to jet fuel, one that's friendly to the environment and to business aircraft operators alike. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Pete Combs with your trusted source for business aviation news. As you probably know, NBAA and its members are pledged to achieving carbon-neutral growth in international emissions by the year 2020 and achieving a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions below 2005 levels by the year 2050. Where are we in that effort? Joining me now to talk about progress on alternative fuels is Steve Zonka, Executive Director of CAFI. That's the Commercial Aviation Alternative Fuels Initiative. He's coming to us from his office in Cincinnati. From Washington, D.C., Kurt Edwards, Director General at IBAC, the International Business Aviation Council. And from Purdue University, NBAA's Chief Operating Officer, Steve Brown. First to Steve Zonka. Steve, your organization, CAFI, was formed 13 years ago and in that time. And I wonder if you might talk to me a little bit about the progress that we've seen in the creation of a sustainable alternative jet fuel during that time. In that time frame, there were people working on production pathways. Uh, so I'm referring to the chemical conversion process specifically because there are other technologies too. But uh, there were to- there were people working on the process at the time. The good news is that in this uh, 12, 13-year period, what we have seen is uh, many, many more entities uh, coming into this space with proposed conversion technologies. So we have uh, five different approaches approved uh, by the aviation industry for the, the production of synthetic jet or sustainable aviation fuel. And uh, actually quite a few more in the uh, potential pipeline of new technologies that would uh, convert various feedstocks. Kurt, it seems to, if I remember correctly, the international community has been anxious, uh, to say the least, for an alternative to carbon-based fuel. For sure. Um, There's been, I think, a a global uh, recognition in the industry, that this uh, technology is necessary to get us to our long-term goal in 2050, which is having our carbon emissions by then relative to 2005 levels. This has been the goal since 2009 for the industry as a, as a whole. We set this for the, uh, the ICAO assembly that year and came out, and that's what we've been working toward. Steve, will we see a fuel or will we see a standard? Will there be numbers of, of types of, of biofuel? How, how is that going to work? Great question. The way that the industry has tackled this issue is that we know, based on work that actually was accomplished uh, in the 80s and 90s, that we have the ability to produce synthetic fuels, so fuels from hydrocarbon sources other than petroleum. So the approach that we took at the time was to maintain or or force this issue of continuing to produce jet fuel the fuel that's defined by specifications that the industry has been using for decades and the interest in doing that was to maintain 
the certification bases of new engines, new airplanes, as well as the entire fleet. And so by taking that approach of forcing the synthetic pathways to produce jet fuel molecules, we don't have to worry about a replacement of a $2 trillion hardware market or retrofitting several trillion dollars worth of airport infrastructure to allow for to allow for the use of a fuel that's different than jet fuel. So based on that premise then, we've had many people go to work looking at ways to produce, either in whole or in part, the molecular components that we find in jet fuel today and that are necessary for the safe and efficient usage of today's airplanes. We need this fuel being able to be produced around the world and from feedstocks that are prevalent in those regions and through a wide range of technologies. So we have a lot of people working on concepts to produce a synthetic jet fuel that gives us sustainability criteria by reducing net carbon through the life cycle assessment of how that fuel is produced versus petroleum. And that is what's intended to help lower our overall greenhouse gas output from the industry. Steve Brown, let me ask you to weigh in here for just a moment and tell me, what is your level of confidence that we're going to find and produce a successful alternative fuel for business aviation? Overall, I'm encouraged about the progress that we're making. Um, Because when you think about changing fundamentally the fuel that you're using uh, in a very sophisticated piece of equipment, Uh, there are a number of things that are required. I mean, first of all, you have to have a fuel that performs well, meets the specifications needed for the aircraft, um, is safe, and in fact, in this case, um, is clean and sustainable without carbon emissions. And over time, working with government and industry, we have that capability. We have a fuel that will work in our aircraft. It's a drop-in capability. It can be mixed with other fuels if necessary. It's completely safe. Um, So the really hard technical work has been done in that sense. The real challenge that's before us is now making sure that we can have a distribution system uh, that makes it available at all these points of sale around the world And in addition to having an adequate distribution system, having a price that is attractive to replace, you know, the current carbon-based fuels. Kurt, let me ask about where ICAO stands on this. Is there a particular type of fuel, as you've heard Steve just discuss, several types are out there in development. Is there any one particular that Europe prefers or that ICAO prefers? Really, there is no necessarily favored uh, feedstock for this fuel. The the standards that are out there that are now available to um, create this fuel are feedstock neutral. So it really depends on where you are and what could work within those standards. Um, and Steve was talking about how international the industry is. Um, it may not be necessarily perceived as sustainable to you know to to ship fuel from one side of a continent to the other. Uh, and that at some point, we would hope that there is going to be some type of mini production or production of fuels nearer to important airports where the industry can upload 
the fuel. Um, ICAO does not name a specific feedstock or fuel. It's basically, do these fuels meet the ASTM standard? If so, yes, they can be dropped into the tank. And Steve can correct me on the, the technicalities of that. And so really right now, uh, what is going on at ICAO and at, at the level of national governments in many countries is folks asking the question, how do we incentivize the development and the commercialization and the purchase and use of these fuels? Steve? The only distinction that I think that you'll see at an ICAO level is that different fuels, based on how they were produced and, and from what original feedstock or starting hydrocarbon that they came from, that they may, they will likely actually get different scores for the level of carbon reduction that they bring. And ICAO's intent is that um, an airline or operator will be able to reduce their commitment to achieving carbon neutral growth um, by the actual level of reduction that these fuels will give them in operation. So there's no differentiation with respect to the type of fuels. They simply have to be a fuel that meets the, the fuel spec that the industry has established. And then you might expect to see some natural movement to one type of fuel or another based on its uh, overall value from a, from a life cycle assessment. But all of these fuels uh, produce the same level of overall performance. That is kind of what we're trying to do right now within the industry is to get that message out and let people know, um, especially within the business aviation community, because it's less well-known within our community compared to the airlines, that's that, that, that you may do that with these fuels. One of the things that Steve just mentioned, if I could go back to it, was uh, regarding scores of uh, carbon reduction. Steve, is that getting a Corsia credit? Yes, yes. So, okay. and we haven't talked about that yet, but the, the framework that the industry has set up for itself, you know, these were voluntary commitments that, that all of aviation made to cap our greenhouse gas growth for international operations from 2020 onward. That voluntary commitment was taken up by uh, aviation's international regulator, the International Civil Aviation Organization under the UN. And they have been working on a mechanism that allows airlines to achieve carbon neutral growth, either through the use of an offset as needed or through the use of the sustainable aviation fuels. And yes, an airline will have an obligation in any particular year to offset their growth. And that obligation can be addressed either through the use of sustainable aviation fuels or the use of offset credits. And each type of, of sustainable aviation fuel that they use will have a score associated with it that's a reflection of the amount of net life cycle greenhouse gases are associated with that fuel. When I asked about the interoperability of this fuel, when we talked about there might be different types of fuel in one place or another, let's say uh, in California versus New York versus London versus uh, Tokyo, Will I need to pump my tanks out? Will I need to clean my tanks? I mean, can I drop this into the same tank as I've been using for a different kind of fuel? Yes, we will be producing fuels from different resources using different conversion methodologies. But at the end of the day, at the end of that production process, 
the molecules, the physical fuel molecules that come out of that process are identical, either completely or, or in part, versus the same molecules that we get from a petroleum refinery. To that end, Steve Brown, NBAA has been conducting demonstrations about the interoperability and the functionality of these different types of alternative fuels. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, so what we wanted to do with these initial demonstration projects is, in various parts of the world, um, make sure that all elements of the stakeholder community um, understand what capability exists in this fuel how they can access it, um, who the providers are, and the progress that we're making in utilizing this green or cleaner fuel, um, which, you know, is very low emission and um, ultimately will replace uh, carbon-based fuels. So we had an initial day of demonstrations uh, in Van Nuys, California, in the L.A. Basin, um, where aircraft uh, flew in and out of the airport on this fuel. And our members are receptive to this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, many of our members uh, in their own corporate environment, uh, whether it's other types of transportation equipment uh, that they utilize, uh, are increasingly utilizing uh, non-carbon-based fuels. Uh, You know, that may be in, you know, things like trucks uh, that they utilize in their business. Um, Many companies are, are going to electric vehicles, if that's possible. Uh, in their businesses as well. So, so this whole move toward uh, utilizing energy sources for transportation that are not carbon-based fuels uh, is widespread across our member community and their businesses. And so they certainly are inclined uh, to move toward this in their aviation applications as well. Kurt, where are we now in trying to achieve carbon neutrality? The medium-term goal is carbon-neutral growth from 2020, so we're working on that now. And the major tool that's going to help us there um, uh, initially is going to be uh, ICAO's uh, Corsia, which is the Carbon Offsetting and Reduction Scheme for International Aviation. And so that offsetting scheme is going to help us uh, achieve that carbon-neutral growth goal for international aviation the longer-term goal for having our carbon emissions by 2050 relative to 2005 levels, that's going to be where we're really going to need a technology like sustainable aviation fuels uh, to get us there. And I'll let I'll ask Steve to, to talk about where we are in terms of overall development around the world. Uh, I'd say most people are saying uh, there's not enough at this point, and we're hoping that that the development can be sped up and made greater uh, as soon as possible. Yeah. Thanks, Kurt. Um, You know, from an, from an internal goal perspective, as I work on this from day to day and I'm working on various commercialization exercises and offtake agreements with airlines, et cetera, et cetera. um, You know, I've got an operating model in the back of my head that says from a U.S. perspective, and, and North America is where we're focused. My constituency, my commercial customers, my business customers, and even to a degree on the military side, need something on the order of three to 400 million gallons per year production to offset 
expected growth. So to achieve the carbon neutral growth from 2020 onward that Kurt mentioned, that will necessitate somewhere in the order of 300 to 400 million gallons per year, incrementally on an annual basis. So we're currently not in a position to have three to 400 million gallons of production by 2021. And so, as Kurt suggests, we will be relying on a carbon offset mechanism in the early years. Steve Brown, at one point not too long ago, when the cost of jet fuel went through the roof, there was a program at NBAA that allowed operators to band together and create economies of scale to be able to order larger amounts of fuel and therefore drive down the per gallon cost. And I bring that up because I wonder if there might not be something that we could do along those lines to create some economies of scale and perhaps spur on the ability to drive down the cost of an alternative jet fuel. You know, it's a good question. And and my overall feeling is that this is a different time compared to then in the sense that um, in that era, the fuel distribution system and the fixed base operator FBO chain um, that is the point of sale at airports was a much more decentralized um, set of businesses, many, many, you know, hundreds and thousands of small businesses. Over time, um, FBOs have become organized into uh, much larger uh, brands and chains um, so that that now the distribution points are uh, organized into you know, hundreds of establishments that are all working together under the same brand and the same company. So I think those FBO chains are now large enough on a global scale um, that they're really best positioned to handle the logistics and, and work on the pricing in a way that couldn't occur in the past. Okay, Steve, let's get back, if we could, to the point that Kurt raised just a moment ago about today's production volumes. What I know today is that we've already got airlines who have committed to more than 250 million gallons per year in terms of offtake agreements with various producers. And what we're waiting on now is for those commercialization activities to finish and for these facilities to start coming online. And I hope that that happens in a rather robust fashion. But I do have, I clearly do have line of sight to achieving 250 to 300 million gallons in the 2022 timeframe. And uh, we'll see how it goes after that. My expectation is, is, is that when we have successful facilities operating, that the spigots will open from a uh, financing perspective, and that we'll see quick replication of those facilities, both in the U.S. and around the world. And then we'll continue to bring on new production methodologies, folks that I talked about before that are sort of in this development pipeline. So I'm actually feeling, you know, fairly robust about where we're going over the next decade. And knowing that we have this Corsia mechanism in place to allow us to meet our commitments through uh, offsets uh, is is a bridge to expanded fuel production. And then uh, I'm still quite optimistic with respect to what the future looks like and the levels of production that we can get to from this very broad range of resources. Now, of course, all of that will be predicated on a lot of other things, 
things that happen outside of our industry, like, for instance, what ap- actually happens with the price of oil in that time frame. And higher oil prices will accelerate the growth of sustainable aviation fuels, and lower prices will uh, probably be an impediment. But there are a lot of other criteria that are out there that will come into play, like what happens with the demand for diesel fuel and gasoline fuel over the next decade and a half as these other technologies come into play. There's a whole bunch of mechanisms that will, uh, as I indicated, come into play to determine exactly how fast this acceleration uh, might occur. And I don't have a good crystal ball any better than yours, uh, but I just continue to work on the fundamentals to try to deliver sufficient production that allows me to help our North American customers meet their commitments with sustainable aviation fuel uh, as much as they're interested in. Hey, Steve, the, the 304 million gallons per year that you cited, that's, that's just for North American customers? Yes. And, and the current 250 million that are being produced, that's globally? The 250 million are actual offtakes. Well, the these offtakes, are, I'm sorry. Are, yeah, that's, advanced that's globally. offtakes that airlines and other customers have signed up for, but the production is significantly lower than that at present. From a, from an annual point of view, so it's two hundred fifty yes. million gallons over a certain period of time. Okay, okay. Yes, Pete, that that's that's a key issue here. It's it's as Steve said, it's ramping up that production to get the volume that's necessary, and then on top of that, for us as a business aviation industry, where we tend to fly to smaller airports or airports with uh, less traffic or where much less fuel is taken up compared to large commercial air transport airports. That's going to be our challenge is how do we get that fuel to those airports? That's Kurt Edwards, Director General of IBAC, the International Business Aviation Council. You also heard from Steve Zonka, Executive Director of the Commercial Aviation Alternative Fuels Initiative and NBAA Chief Operating Officer Steve Brown. You can learn more about the Commercial Aviation Alternative Fuels Initiative at CAFI, that's C-A-A-F-I dot org. NBAA has also joined with six other aviation associations to encourage extension of the biodiesel tax incentive, which also promotes increased production of sustainable alternative jet fuel. You can learn more about that by going to the NBAA website and searching on the term biofuel. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan podcasts at Apple's iTunes website, at your favorite podcast website, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Pete Combs. Thanks for listening to Flight Plan.